Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Today we have a very special guest, and, I, and I'll lead up to this. I don't normally get to do this, but I read a book January 24th of 2004, a decade ago, a little over a decade ago. Somebody gave me this book called Halftime, and that book changed the way I viewed my workplace. And it is a big, huge privilege for me today to have Dean Niewolny from Halftime right here in the studio with me today. And, and you run Halftime, right? Crack? Well, I pretty do. pretty close. I'm pretty close. Pretty close. All right. So I, I just like to welcome Dean to the show. Thank you very much for being here for being here today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. This book it transformed my life, and it, and I know it was the work of the Holy Spirit written. You know, while Bob Buford was writing this book mm-hmm. a decade earlier than when I read it, but just about that challenge. Being a Christ follower, being in the workplace, thinking, I want to be in ministry, I want to be in ministry, I want to be in ministry. And it shifted my paradigm to recognize that, you know what, my ministry can be in my workplace. It could also be overseas, but my ministry could be in my workplace. But it changed my par- it shifted my paradigm from chasing after success. All of those things that if I accumulated them, they would eventually end up in a landfill somewhere. Because we don't have, uh, there's no uh, U-Hauls behind our hearses. And so... This book just transformed me saying, I don't want to chase after success anymore because it's elusive anyway. Mm. I want my life to be a life of significance. Mm. I want, when people look at my dash on my tombstone, if I ever get one, I want them to go, that was a busy time. You should have seen all the things that God used Jim to do. That's why we're doing the I Work For Him show. That's why I wanted you on the show today because that Mm. book, your organization, was used by God to transform my life. 
Hmm. So, so that's why you're here. Okay, so Dean, you came to me all the way from Dallas, Texas, but you're live in the studio today, which is fantastic because your folks live here in St. Petersburg. That's right. Yep. They, they are some of those people helping pay our taxes. We're grateful to Dean's folks. We're grateful <laughs> to all of you people listening on the radio today that came from somewhere else. Thank you for helping pay our taxes so we don't have income taxes. This is a great place to live. <laughs> all right, so uh, you know, I understand you're from Texas, but there might be people listening to the show today. Uh, you got anybody you want to say hi to? Well, I need to say hi to my wife. Yeah, you kids, probably do. Right. And uh, hi to Lisa and Caden and Kennedy back in Dallas, Texas. Daddy, you'll be back soon. <laughs> Lisa, Caden, and Kennedy. Yes. Nice. Okay. All right. So tell me about your, your family. How old are your kids? Are they older? My kids, uh, my daughter is 15. Okay. Going to be 16 here in April. Mm. Just got her first car. And my son is 12. Just turned 12 last week. All right. So it's not so bad. But the 15-year-old daughter, those are some tough trying times. Yeah, they are. You know, and she's a great, great girl and, uh, mm. you know, loves the Lord. So I couldn't be more blessed. How long have you and Lisa been married? We've been married 17 years. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. That's Thank fantastic. You. Appreciate that. All right. So let's get talking. I, I do this with every guest that's on the show. The first thing I want to know, before we get into all the really cool stuff about your background, I want to hear, how did Christ impact your life? Well, I was raised Catholic and, uh, and uh, in 1994, went through a tough time in my life. I went through a divorce started living a life that I really wasn't very proud of at that time. And, and there was somebody in my office, a, a gal in the office, who said, hey, Dean, there's a friend of mine that I'd like you to meet and have lunch with. And I said, well, who is it? And she said, well, just why don't you meet him for lunch? And I said, well, who is it? She said, well, he's a pastor at the local church. I said, well, why would I want to go and meet with this pastor guy? <laughs> you know. So we ended up at uh, Chili's for three hours. And uh, he's now uh, my best friend. His name's Paul Wilson, lives in, in Texas. And really, that's when my relationship with Christ really did take off. And uh, my focus was totally on him from that point forward. At that time in my life, I just felt like, hey, if I'm going to live this life uh, with Christ, I need to go and do something really significant and leave the marketplace and go into the ministry. So the mistake at that point was that we need people, like you said, who are a light in the dark world. If everybody went into the ministry, who would be that light in the dark world? So Christ and I have had this incredible relationship for now probably 20 years. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it is true. I, I will tell you, honestly, I thought when I came into my life to full-time Christian work, I thought, I'm going to be in a pulpit somewhere. I'm going to be running a youth mm -hmm. ministry somewhere. Or maybe I'll be a, a family pastor or something. And I never thought about the fact, because our churches weren't talking about it, and they're still not talking about it today. Listen up, pastors. We are. I'm, I was called to full-time ministry, but it was to be a volunteer Never to get paid ministry yeah. because of my my other ministry where I get paid is my workplace. Yeah. Uh, the employees that I had, the the people that I worked with, my managers, my bosses, that was my ministry. Mm. But that paradigm shift was so hard to get because I had nobody feeding me with that. Yeah, and it, and it really wasn't until I read halftime in two thousand and four that I started to understand I need to look at life differently. Mm. And yeah. I was thirty seven. Yeah, and I think for us anyway, you know, people read the book Halftime, and, and if you read it, you get this sense that you, you're supposed to leave the marketplace and go into the ministry. Well, that absolutely is not the case. I mean, one of the myths of Halftime is that you're supposed to make that transition. And really, 70% of folks who go through Halftime stay right where they're at. That is where their ministry is. That's their center of influence. So this idea of leaving where you're working and going into the ministry 
is a misunderstanding in the book. And it is a common misunderstanding, and we yeah. just need to help people understand it. Absolutely. So that's why we're here on the radio today talking about it. All right, you've got an impressive resume. Mm-hmm. You, you've got a lot of r- cool business background. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, I started in the financial services industry in 1987 uh, with Merrill Lynch. I, I, I spent 23 years in the financial services industry. And my whole goal, Jim, was really how could I make money and how could I acquire toys? You know, the guy who ends, you know, dies with the most toys wins, right? So and that I was, was a very popular bumper sticker back in the 80s. It really was. And, and, and I thought that was, a, I thought that's what I was uh, making all the money for. But anyway, I, I spent a lot of time in the, in the marketplace in the financial services industry and moved up the ladder with various firms. And uh, there's a lot of mergers, as you know, in that industry. And, mm-hmm. um, and really, in 2006, I was overseeing a piece of business in downtown Chicago, and I thought I had it all figured out. I, I had four homes, I had a little airplane, and I was making all sorts of money, and I thought, well, I should be the happiest person in the world. I have a beautiful wife, two great kids, but there was something missing. And if you read the book, Halftime, there's a chapter called Success Panic. And in that chapter, it's this idea of ultimately getting to that level of success and then saying, well, is this all there is? <laughs> For me, I looked out the window that day and like, there has to be more to life than this. What floor were you on when you're looking out that window? Well, I was on the 40th floor. The 40th floor. And the floor. windows were shut. I didn't, you know, I would, didn't jump out or anything. But I really did feel the Lord speak to me at that point. Uh, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I really felt the Lord saying, Dean, it's time for you to simplify your life. I have bigger plans for you. Um, And Lisa and I at that point realized that maybe all this accumulating of stuff wasn't really the answer. The answer was figuring out what's God's sweet spot. Where is God's sweet spot for me? So we talk a lot at halftime about your Ephesians 2.10 calling. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Okay, so you didn't bust open the window and jump out because you're sitting here today. That wasn't the Sears Tower or any famous building down there. It was just a regular old 40-story building. The Mercantile Exchange Building. Oh, that's a cool building, though. (laughs) That's a cool building. All right, so you're on the 40th floor. You've got toys. You've got houses. you got, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. You had that mentality. What happened? Well, I just, uh, you know, I felt the Lord say to me, it's time to simplify your life. And I really was in this stage. I heard Bob Buford, the author of Halftime, be interviewed uh, in 1999. And I thought, well, that's good for him and his friends, but I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) So in 2010, I was really getting quite, or 2006, I I was getting uncomfortable with continuing to make money and having this emptiness. I really felt a hole in my heart, quite honestly. There, There needed to be more. At the same time that my wife, Lisa, and I started talking about downsizing and simplifying our life, there's a gentleman at work who came to me and asked if I'd be interested in doing a Bible study. And I said, what are we going to study? He said, we're going to study this book called Halftime. I said, well, that's great. I've read that book a few times. And we started what was called a Halftime Huddle. We read a chapter in the book every other week. There was 11 financial services individuals that were part of this small group, if you will. And uh, in 2008, I found out that there's a thing called the Halftime Institute down in Dallas, where we go to Dallas for 27 hours, and we spend a lot of time focusing on the individual, how God's wired you, your gifting, your talent, your passion, so on and so forth. Anyway, one thing led to another, and I I got coached by a halftime certified coach for the next year and a half, and I just felt God saying to me, hey, Dean, it's time for you to make a move and leave what you're doing. And I left what I was doing. Now, most people don't do that, like I said earlier. 
uh, we have a saying at halftime, it's the, the, the rule of the jungle. Don't let go of one vine until you have the other vine. Well, I let go of the vine, and I really was out there. I just was like, Lord, what do you have in store for me? But I had this incredible peace. And uh, over the course of the next year, I was introduced to some folks at halftime. And then at the end of 2009, I was named the uh, CEO of halftime. And really, it wasn't a, during that time, Jim, just really quick, during that time, my wife uh, wasn't necessarily where I was at on this journey. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot at halftime is, you know, are you equally yoked where you're at in this journey? She is the one, though, that had the dream in the middle of the night that she said, you know what, you're going to be named the, half, uh, the CEO of halftime. We're moving to Dallas, Texas. Wow, that's yeah, cool. That was cool. Okay, but in there, there's you got part of Willow Creek. You started going to Willow Creek. Yeah. Was was that in 06? Or had you already been going there before then? Started going to Willow Creek in 1995. Okay. All yeah. right. I, I visited Willow Creek in probably 93 or 94, so I remember what it looked like then. It was small yeah. then. It was Yeah, smaller, <laughs> yes. Still big for me coming out of a Catholic church. But I went to Willow Creek. That's where I saw Bob get interviewed by Bill Hybels. Okay. And, uh, but you got exposed to the short-term missions field. Yes. On a trip. Tell, tell us about that trip and how that impacted your life. Yeah, I was asked if I'd like to participate in a trip to South Africa, and uh, we went into some very difficult areas of South Africa, uh, spent 10 days there, and was exposed to incredible poverty, uh, but incredible hope also. And I started to see the impact that the church was having over there. But when I got home, the, the challenge for me was to walk into the front door of our big home and we thought, hey, wouldn't it be a neat idea to invite all our friends over so we can talk about this incredible trip I went on? And that night, it just hit me. I had 60 people sitting in my living room eating fantastic food in a beautiful home in a very safe place. And I said, something is wrong with this. Uh, something is wrong with this. I'm talking about these impoverished folks over in South Africa and the struggles they're going through. And we're living in this opulent home. So that had an incredible impact. At that point, I just uh, talked to Lisa and, and uh, we made a decision that it was time to start really changing things and focusing on doing things for others. Hmm, that's fantastic. So it by going on that short-term mission field, your paradigm shifted. For sure. Yeah, and huge. And, and mine, mine shifted, at, shifted first, and then Lisa ended up going to Zambia a few weeks later, and her shifted quickly also. Well, that was one of the things that, in the part of my journey, it wasn't necessarily a, a paradigm shift, but it was my eyes being opened to the effect of the short-term missions trip on the average, quote-unquote, Christian business person, because they, yeah. they think that, well, I only make $100,000 a year. You know, there's a lot of guys that make a million dollars a year. I'm not a rich guy. Hmm. And you take these, I went on a trip with 26 guys that were all, I was the poorest guy out of all of them. Hmm. And I was already making six figures. And I watched how God transformed each one of their lives because they saw what true poverty was. And they also saw what contentment looked like. Yeah. People who had two pairs of clothes, they were happy to have a door and a dirt floor and maybe a bed. Yeah. And they were thrilled to death with life yeah. and happy to get every meal. Yeah. And most of them never owned a car in their lives. Most of them had to bum a ride in the back of somebody's motorcycle with no lights in the middle of the night or ride a bus somewhere. Yeah. They, as the airplanes flew overhead, they realized those people in those villages will never, ever get to fly in one of those airplanes. Yeah. And I watched how, how it just shifted the paradigm yeah. for them. And it, it's good. I think in order to be an effective Christ follower in the workplace, you have to be able to experience it. You have yeah. to see what the rest of the world lives like. 90% of the world lives like that. 
That's right. And I would also add to that that when after going on a trip like that and 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 having it impact you you got to really focus on making a transition because you can easily slide right back into the comforts of what we have here. Oh, it's easy to, but mm-hmm. you also feel guilty. All right, so you went through the halftime program. You went through you went through the actual halftime I program. <laughs> Tell us about that. What you went through it, your mindset at the beginning, your mindset at the end and and what you learned along the way. Let's just start with that. Yeah, I, the halftime program obviously talks about going from success to significance. That's the idea of, of halftime. But what happened to me, Jim, is when I went through the program after reading the book, and I was at the Halftime Institute in Dallas, Bob Buford said three things that were profound to me. He said, I feel like at the end of everybody's life, there's going to be an audit, and there's going to be two things, really, that we're going to be held accountable to. Number one, what did you do about Jesus? Well, I felt pretty good about that. I accepted Christ and rededicated my life to the Lord in 1994. Uh, the second piece, though, he said, what did you do? You'll be asked, in his opinion, what did you do with the gifts that I've given you? Going back to the Ephesians 2.10 comment or verse that says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared beforehand. Okay, meaning that God has put inside us special gifts that he expects us to use. So he said, those are the two questions he feels will be asked. The third thing he said, hit me as hard as those two and that was it's not success to significance it's really success to significance to ultimate surrender and i think we can all be significant any place it's this idea of ultimately saying i surrender lord to whatever you want me to do with the rest of my life that's hard but when you're there and you're actually in that spot it's so freeing so I went through the institute. I ended up getting coached. I came back with an idea of what I thought significance would be for Lisa and I. Because we had this idea, we're going to be significant, but let us figure it out. We'll go (laughs) where we want. We want to go to San Diego and be significant, is what we thought. So when we ultimately got to the point of just saying, Lord, I surrender. I started doing a lot of solitude time. Two times a week, I'd just spend an hour or two in solitude to just listen to the Holy Spirit. And... When we went out to an event that Halftime was hosting in Southern California, because that's where we were going to go, we mm-hmm. wanted to live there, Lisa at 3.30 in the morning just woke up and she said, I'm telling you, I just had a dream. You are going to be named the CEO of Halftime. And I said, Lisa, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. They're not going to want me. And why would you think that? She goes, I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. And that's what happened. But the reason I mentioned it is because I went through the Halftime Institute. I ended up getting coached. I did everything that Halftime suggested that I do. But it wasn't until we ultimately surrendered ourselves and just said, Lord, what is it that you want to do with my life? I love that. So, I love Bob's two questions. What are you going to do about Jesus? Because we all have a decision to make. That's really what life is all about. Is Jesus real? If he's real, if he is who he says he is, you got to make a choice. You're going to follow him or you're going to deny him. Yeah. I mean, that's what life is all about. And then the second question, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. But I love how you took that to success, to significance, to surrender. Because that's really, in my own life, exact same thing. I was successful. Had insurance agencies, moved to Florida, read the book, read Halftime. And I thought, okay, I want to have a life of significance. But it really wasn't until I surrendered when I had lost all of my jobs that I said, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And he said, I-, I don't want, I don't need you. Just be available. 
I would say, let me just add to that if I can. A lot of people come to halftime and think they have to make this huge life change and this huge switch. Everything you need, you brought with you. Okay, you don't need to make a huge life change. You don't need to make a huge life, you know, move to Africa. Everybody thinks, well, if I surrender myself, I'm going to be end up moving to Africa or doing something like that. God's already given you the gifts. We just have to pull them out of you. Yeah, I, I would agree. And what's what's cool is how God pulls them out of you. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't ever do anything overnight. Mm-hmm. It's always a process. He wants us to learn from where we're at, wants us to learn from the mistakes we've made and, and from other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's such a process of uh, the surrender process is a long process. I mean, I think it really is because it's like, okay, I'm going to give up this part of my life, but I still got my wallet over here until we finally give it all. It's it's a journey. The halftime process of going from success to significance to surrender is a journey. And I think a lot of people who read the book think, well, I'm going to go to this halftime institute in Dallas for 27 hours and it's going to be over. <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, that's the beginning. That's, that's just the beginning. That's just right. the willingness to go is a good start, but that's the beginning of the process. That's and right. it's a it's a it's a long process. What's amazing? All right, in the first half of our show, we've been talking with halftime CEO Dean Newolny, talking about success versus significance and on to surrender the whole ministry of halftime you know dean you you mentioned it before welcome back to the show you mentioned before ephesians 2 10 ephesians 2 10 ephesians 2 10 and i love that verse because i've been a christian long enough where keith green was doing christian contemporary music back in the 80s before he died in a plane wreck and he did a a song on ephesians 2 10 you know for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them he did a song on the new king james version of that verse and i could sing it to you today but i'm not a singer so we're not gonna but that verse is powerful because we are his workmanship and but it sometimes takes some of us half of a lifetime to realize we're not here for us. We're here to glorify God. And a lot of us think this is all about us. We think that we think that the bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. When in fact, the truth of the matter is, he who dies with the most toys still dies, doesn't get to take him with him, and on his deathbed he regrets all of the time he spent working and neglecting his family. I mean, that's the truth and reality of it. And, and, and that's the bumper sticker I want to put on there, but it's too much writing. So... <laughs> All right, so we were just, right before we took the break, we were talking about how you'd gone through the halftime program, and really the reality of it was, it's a program that takes you from success to significance to surrender. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So I want to take the next, th- this segment of the hour and really talk about the program, because mm-hmm. I, li- people listening out there, you know, we're, we're, we're halfway through drive time, it's five after 5.30 in the afternoon, people are listening and they're going, hey, I want to know... There's got to be more to life. Just like you were in that 40th story of, of the Mercantile Exchange Building, looking out over Chicago, you go, there's got to be more to life than this. Well, in Tampa Bay, we don't have any really cool tall buildings, so nobody could be on the 40th floor, I don't think. But to be able to ask that question and go, I've got a great house on the beach. I'm driving a really cool car, because in Florida, we could drive cool cars year-round. We don't have snow like you do in Texas. <laughs> uh, but people are going, well, there's got to be more. Mm-hmm. So talk about the process that halftime can help that Christ follower in order to be able to take their lives to the next level. Yeah. Halftime helps you figure out what is your spiritual gifting, what are your strength finders, and what are you passionate about. And then we help you implement and, and partner up with a ministry that is either existing or we help you design 
the ministry for you to help you design a, a new ministry. So halftime itself, when you go through the process and you start by going to the Halftime Institute, the whole first day really does, is all about archaeology. Who are you? How has God wired you? What is your gift mixing? What's your spiritual gifts? So on and so forth. The second day has a lot, of, lot to do with construction. And that is how do we take what you're really talented uh, how God has wired you at the core, and how do we put that together in some sort of plan in order to to live that out, to live out your Ephesians 2.10 calling. But that's really only the beginning, Jim. That, what happens after that with all the coaching, okay, over the next year, okay, you really start to fine-tune what is it truly that I'm really uh, good at? Where is the sweet spot that God has for me? And then when, when you identify that, whatever it is, let's say, for instance, it's uh, your passion is working with children. Okay, we have another piece of halftime called Halftime Talent Solutions that helps you get engaged in whatever your calling is. So for instance, if somebody's able to carve out four hours a week Okay, again, I'm going to go back. It doesn't mean if you go through halftime and go from success to significance that you leave your job behind necessarily. Some do, some don't. But you may carve out four hours a week. Then halftime talent solutions, the other piece of halftime, helps you get plugged in. It may be that we plug you into World Vision. Okay, we help partner you with whoever, you know, fits your passion. So it, it is a process. It is a journey. Once you start with halftime, it's, it could end up being as long as three or four years before you really understand what your true calling is. Three or four years? Is that because we're so dull-minded? It takes three or four years? Or, or, or why is it that it could take that long? Well, in, in a lot of cases, I had this passion in 1999 when I heard Bob get interviewed at Willow Creek Community Church. I started feeling like, you know what, I have to start thinking of how can I make this transition and do more with the gifting that I have? But it took until 2010 for me to actually make the transition. So in some cases, people will go through the 27-hour Halftime Institute in Dallas and at the end know instantly what they're going to go do. Most people come through and will say, I'm not passionate about anything. You know, We have people who say that all the time, but the reality is you are passionate about something and it may just make time, may take time for that to come to the forefront. Hmm. All right, Everybody's so- different. Everybody is different. I, I would say that probably the biggest part of the process for me, because I never got to go through the formal halftime process, mm-hmm. but God took me through the halftime process on uh, on over a decade, mm-hmm. was learning to listen to God, yeah. learning to put myself aside, and learning to listen to God, learning to just learning to shut up. Really, is the biggest thing. And anybody that knows me, my friends know that's a difficult thing. Just yeah. <laughs> to, to be quiet. You talked about how you took some quiet times. That was when my life started to change, is when I started giving myself that quiet time. I started that commute to Orlando every day from Indian Rocks Beach, 90 minutes in the car, every morning, quiet time. Yeah. And I was praying, but I was being quiet. No radio, no talking heads, you know, that's because Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh weren't on yet in the morning, but I was being quiet. And that's what changed my life, is learning to, just learning to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say for, when you go through the halftime process, we do a lot more than just help you understand your your gift mixing and your spiritual gifts. We help you identify your personal mission statement. We help you identify a personal board of directors. Part of it is setting aside solitude time on a consistent basis to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that will really guide you in this process. I mean, we will give parameters 
for you to kind of stay within and go down, if you will. But the Holy Spirit will ultimately speak to you and guide you in the direction you need to go. So the process of halftime is a year-long program, and it's very structured where we help you hopefully get to the finish line at the end of 12 months. But in some cases, it takes longer. Hmm. You you mentioned a personal board of directors as part of this process. What's that yeah. all about? Well, personal board of directors, any successful uh, successful business uh, has a board of directors that guides that business. It's the same thing for you and I and others individually. We need people that we can trust, who are spiritually sound, that we can be transparent with, who, by the way, will tell us things that we may not want to hear about ourselves. So when I was going through this process, I had four people who I called my personal board of directors that I would bounce things off of. I would say, hey, Tim, you know, I have a situation here, an opportunity to go work with a church, which I'll leave unnamed, but I have have this opportunity. What do you think? Dean, not a fit for you. You're not a punch in at eight o'clock, punch out at five o'clock kind of guy. That's not a fit for you. Or if I have uh, struggles with Uh, Lisa or my kids, you know, I'll call somebody and say, here's the challenge we're going through. Because when you make this decision to start carving out time to live your life of significance, there are adjustments in your family for your spouse, for your kids. In our case, we lived in Chicago. I went back and said to Lisa and to the kids, oh, by the way, this is what God's telling dad. Dad, he's telling dad to move to Dallas, Texas. So you're going to have to uproot yourself and leave your schools and change everything. So it's it's a process that you have to work through. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. You um, on this personal board of directors, it's really what Crown Ministries would call your trusted advisors. Yes, All right. that's right, and that's that's cool. I, I see a lot of similarities. Uh, have you ever been through Crown Ministries? I ha- I'm very familiar, but I have not been through it. Oh, well, that's something every Christian should have to go yep, through. It's one sure. of those things that should be on the list to be recommended because it's just powerful. But uh, again, because it fits in side by side with what halftime does. All right, so that quiet time to listen to the Holy Spirit and and, and that's learning to listen. That's one of the things I pray almost every day. I wish I'd prayed every day, but I, I forget some days. But the Holy Spirit, just use my ears to teach me to hear your voice and to listen and then be obedient. Yes. Because that's the key. First, you got to learn to hear it. Yep. Then you got to listen. Yeah. Shut up and listen, Jim, would you? And then be obedient. Yeah, and the, the Holy Spirit may be telling you to do very simple things. You know, I think when we pray to the Holy Spirit, mostly when you're going through the halftime experience, you come there with this expectation that there's going to be some major life-changing event taking place. The Holy Spirit, it, it's a two-day event the, the, for the what we call the Halftime Institute. Most people go back to the hotel room, go to bed, Inevitably, at 3 or 4 o'clock, the Holy Spirit will speak to one or two or three of them that have been there. Some come back and just erase what they've decided the day before and have changed everything. Some come back and just say, the Holy Spirit's telling me I need to just have a conversation with my spouse. We're not at the same place. So it's it's listening to the Holy Spirit, but then following through, even if it's something really simple. Well, And what's powerful about that 3 o'clock in the morning thing, it takes that long for us to be quiet, even in our sleep, yeah. so we can listen. I mean, it's a, it's a fun that's a fun deal. All right, Dean, this is the last segment. It's, this, that's the final 10 minutes of the show. As we're talking about halftime, it's been a great conversation. And I want my audience to find out how can, if, if, if they're at that spot in their life where mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out, okay, what do I really do? I, I'm at that point where my life is not fulfilling. I feel like there's just never going to be enough to make me feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole empty wholeness, in my, the emptiness of my, in my chest 
I've filled it with boats and cars and jobs and relationships. And, then, and they realized just recently, Jesus needs to fill that hole. Hmm. But now that they've got Christ filling that emptiness in their life, they're like, there's got to be more to life than this. Yeah. And then they read John 10 and 10, 10, and Jesus says, hey, I came that you, that you might have life and live it to its fullest. Right. And they're going, yeah, I did that. It didn't work for me. And Jesus says to them, that's not what I was talking about. Yeah. I was talking about real life. Yeah. And that's what halftime is all about, trying to find out what their real life is supposed to be about. Not the fake life they've been living for the, all the years behind them, but life in Christ, using the gifts that God has given them in service as God intended. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the things Jesus cares about. You know, it's the orphans, it's the widows, the things that Jesus cares about. Life will always, in my opinion, feel very empty. It surely did for me as I was going through life and accumulating all these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, by worldly standards, I should have been extremely happy. But I wasn't really focused on the things that breaks Jesus' heart. And when you use your gifts, okay, to focus on those things that he truly cares about, your life will change. I mean, there will be incredible joy that will come in when you really do find that sweet spot that God has for you. So talk about who's the perfect candidate for the halftime program. Well, the perfect candidate, we all have an Ephesians 2.10 calling. It doesn't say in the Bible that Ephesians 2.10 is for the wealthy or for the poor. It's for all of us. We all have a calling. We're all expected to use our gifts. Okay, so my encouragement to anybody who's listening to the show is to go to halftime.org. Um, call our number, talk to one of our representatives, and feel it out. See if you're a good fit to go through the halftime program. If the halftime program is not a fit for you, okay, and it's not for everybody. You know, some people may want to do it a little bit differently. We're a very hands-on organization. We work one-on-one with you. But there's another organization out there called the 210 Project, which is a book that you can do online. You can answer a bunch of questions. It will also help you understand. The reason it's called 210 is for, because it's after, it takes uh, from the verse uh, from Ephesians 2.10. So my encouragement to you, go to halftime.org. Give us a call. And if halftime's right for you, for you, we'll get you set up. If it's not, we'll set you up with somebody else. And this isn't just for guys. This isn't it's, just for businessmen. This is for businessmen and women. Yeah, we had a halftime event last week. We had six women and four guys. So there's more women than men. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, but who does your average person? Is there an average person? I mean, are they are they all because we're you know reaching middle age? Are they all forty years old thinking yeah. about life? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, when when halftime was written initially, the sweet spot was really forty five to sixty. What we now see is that we have folks as young as twenty seven and as old as eighty three going through the halftime institute. So. It is for 83? 83. Man, if that's halftime, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, when he was at the program, he said, I'm in overtime. So uh, <laughs> nonetheless, I, it's for it halftime. I think when you read it or you think about halftime, you automatically think I need to be 50 or 45 or 55. It's really when God pulls on your heartstrings. It may be when you're 27. A lot of the younger folks nowadays don't want to do this whole thing of going from success to significance. They want to be significant now. Right. They're right? T- they've seen through the false just the falsehood of the reality that we live in. That's right. Yeah, they, they go, yeah, I want to see real. I, yeah. I've seen falsehood. I've grown up with falsehood. My parents got divorced. They, they pretended that they loved each other. Then they pretended that they loved somebody else. And my life fell apart. I, I'm tired of the fakeness. I want reality. I met Jesus. 
I want real. Yeah. Yeah. My encouragement to people listening is that if you do feel that emptiness in your life, contact us and then we'll help you through that. All right. So how many people do you guys have on staff? We have 10 folks on staff here in, in Dallas. Uh, there in Dallas. There We're in Dallas. actually in Florida today. <laughs> there in Dallas. Apparently your mind is still back in Dallas. <laughs> and we have most, we probably have about 50 folks on staff around the world. We have halftime affiliates in Australia and South Africa and Singapore and Sweden and elsewhere. So this idea of the book in 1994, this was a book really written on Bob's life. He didn't expect it to turn into an organization, but around the world, people started feeling the same thing that he was feeling. Like there's this emptiness in my life. So it's kind of turned into an organization over time. And do you have local people here that have gone through the program or do you have a local area coordinator for a halftime? We don't have one in the Tampa, St. Pete area. We've had, we have a number of people in this area that have gone through the halftime program yes but we don't have a local coordinator that's right okay yeah my my buddy dave zillig he was the one that introduced me to the halftime organization personally because he had been through it but i met him because of that Uh, but there is so you've got an opening then if you if somebody wanted to head up halftime and you could there could be an opening for that in tampa st pete well, yeah, we, we would love to have a halftime ambassador here in right. this area. There we go. I thought that might be the case. Mm-hmm. We could, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, listen tonight. i, I got to tell you, this book is fantastic. If Even if you just start by reading the book, and I'll give away a free copy. All you do is send me an email. This is a process that God intends all of us Christ followers to go through. He wants us to get our eyes off the world, which is a waste of time, and get our eyes focused on Him. And really, in going with that thought, you know, has your life been radically affected by Christ? And are you running a business? But does your business look different than your non-Christian competition? And if you're perplexed on how to incorporate your faith into your business to make it look and feel different than your non-Christian competition, then you need to check out Business His Way. You know, it's a biblical mentoring process designed for you to learn how to incorporate your Lord and your workplace. Brought to you by C12 Tampa Bay and I Work For Him. For more information, just give me a, send me an email, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. Next week on the I Work For Him show, we'll be talking with Dick DeWitt about marketplace chaplains. So make sure you tune in for that. You know, my sponsors, my advertisers are people I trust, people you can trust. Please do business with them. The Christian Chamber of Commerce, Tampa Bay. Ross Harrop with C12 Tampa Bay. Luke Andrews with Generation Mortgage and Charles Ruttenberg Real Estate. Dan Geyer with Direct Hits Management. Gary Melanowski, Chick-fil-A, Seminole Boulevard and Park Boulevard. Eric Most with Most Insurance, 2B1 Ministries, and Tampa Mayor's Prayer Breakfast on May the 7th. And also Jim Brangenberg, that's me, with Platinum Information. Services. Look to the links to their company websites listed on our website, iworkforhim.com. And on the I Work For Him website, you'll also find all kinds of great resources, including the show schedule, the guest schedule, and all kinds of recommended resources for incorporating Christ into your workplace. Thank you to my guest today, Dean Niewolny. Halftime CEO. It was great having you on the show today. Love being here, Jim. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Please take time to like us on Facebook. Just search for I Work For Him. That's I Work, the number four, him. Thanks to Chris Dunn for running the controls, keeping me on time today. He's going to have to work on his little theme song, but we'll do that for the next time when he's filling in for Mike Miracle. All right, if you found today's show inspiring or challenging, could you let me know? Just pop me an email, jim at iworkforhim.com. You've been listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I am a Christ follower. I own my own business, but I don't know about you, Tampa Bay. I work for him. So I hope if it's only gonna let you die.